Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price that you deserve. Huntworth is giving a ton of stuff away in our Patreon giveaway. Guys, like almost $500 worth of clothing, all stuff that they've already gave to us and uh, been testing it out. Just incredible stuff. So if you're looking for that, Midwest whitetail hunting, like quality clothing that's not at a ridiculous price and stuff that's going to last, going to keep you warm. I mean, some of the warmest stuff that I've used uh, late season and the stuff that I've been using here early season, um, it's been incredibly durable. So real happy to have Huntworth on board with us. Check them out at huntworthgear.com. Today's podcast, we're talking with Brad Luttrell from Go Wild. I actually sat down and talked with uh, Brad at the ATA show, and uh, I've had some phone conversations with him since. And um, just with everything that had happened, uh, you know, just prior to the ATA show with uh, some of the major hunting platforms like uh, Seek One in particular, uh, getting demonetized uh, because of their content and kind of uh, having causing them to shift their business model and things like that um, from YouTube. Uh, it's kind of important to talk, uh, kind of going off of what we were talking with with uh, John Stallone with the Howell stuff about, uh, you know, our lifestyle, be it, you know, hunting and inevitably killing and blood and all the things that kind of go along with it, even though that's not why we're into it. Um, you know, people take offense to that and they... Um, have chosen to, you know, shadow ban people and uh, not promote things that they don't agree with. And uh, there's guys like Brad coming out with platforms like Go Wild that are kind of allowing, not necessarily like a free for all. I mean, obviously they 
they don't promote hate or anything like that, but it just allows hunters to be hunters, interact, uh, you know, post pictures with their rifles or, you know, with their bows, with the animals that they've killed and, and things like that without any fear of, you know, being blocked or censored. So it's a really great podcast. I think you guys are going to enjoy that. I mentioned Huntworth um, and their donations to our Patreons. Patreon is a crowdfunding for creators and it helps us to do things right now. I'm recording on a new microphone and stand. Um, I'm going to start doing some, uh, I feel like we're getting so far away from the things that are going on here uh, with, you know, I got a brand new bow here uh, from Bear that we've been testing. I got an easy V site. I've got some red line stuff um, that we're testing. I've got a Schaefer rest, uh, all these things, all this new gear, arrows, all sorts of things that we're testing. Um, and we really haven't talked a lot about that. John's been gone. He's back now. Uh, but I think I'm going to start doing some like talking head YouTube videos and kind of going through uh, kind of like video podcast style. Uh, what's going on here? Uh, Frank's been shooting the EZV and uh, really enjoying that. Uh, we've got some other things coming up here too. But anyways, Patreon allows us to to kind of do some of that stuff and help with the video and the all the costs associated with it. Uh, but we try and give back as much as we can. Like I said, you know, a huge package from, from Huntworth. Uh, we're working with Spartan Forge again this year. Spartan Forge is, you know, artificial intelligence for the deer woods. Uh, crazy mapping. They're using military-grade uh, artificial intelligence to track deer um, not deer specifically, but deer movements and patterns, uh, to tell you what days are going to be the best to be in the woods. And, uh, Spartan Forge is giving away one of their year subscriptions. Lucky Buck is giving away either a tub of their mineral. If you can use it, we're using that up in the UP as a supplemental feed and, uh, getting pictures on that right now, uh, almost immediately that, that took off for us. And uh, if you can't do that, they've got food plot seed and other things like that. And you can check them out at luckybuck.com. Uh, and uh, our friends at Zinger, uh, Zinger Fletchings, they're giving away another one of their packs of uh, either, the, you, know, you know, whatever ones are for your arrows, but they're 3D printed flexible uh, fletchings. Uh, they go on in like two seconds and uh, they're not fobs. They're, they're f compression fit fletchings. Um, just, just incredible. But beyond that, you know, that's all from people that, that are working with us. You know, we bought a bear Montana longbow and the guys at Selway sent a bear quiver. Uh, we've got a bunch of accessories to go along with it. Uh, one of our other patrons, Tom Taylor set up uh, a set, a full dozen fletched arrows. Um, he took a picture, posted that on social media and that's going to be given away. So, I mean, you got about, if you want to win that bow, uh, you got about another week or so to sign up. And it's, I mean, 33 cents a day to to get in and, and get a chance, you know, support the people that you're supporting. I mean, hell, I support a couple of uh, podcasts on Patreon because I, I appreciate what they're doing and I know what it takes to do this. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things for me, but uh, we really appreciate it. We couldn't thank you guys enough. And if that's not it, you know, it's not for you, not a big deal, but, uh, we really do, uh, appreciate it, but you know, leave us a review, tell a friend, say, Hey, have you heard about this? Have you heard about that? Um, you know, the, the howl podcast is, is 
doing really well. And that's, that's something that's really important, you know, getting out there much like this, go wild to, um, you know, kind of come together as hunters and kind of stand up for one another and, and kind of keep what we've become accustomed to, um, alive. But, uh, yeah, tell a friend and, uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. John is once again on his hiatus in uh, Florida doing some uh, saltwater fishing. So it's just going to be me today. And uh, we are going to be talking with uh, Brad from Go Wild tonight. And, um, well, we'll we'll talk to Brad and then we'll kind of get into uh, what we're going to talk about today. So how are you doing tonight, Brad? Hey man, thanks for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here with you as always, and uh, uh, I always love talking to a podcaster and getting to, to get in touch with a new audience and kind of share a little bit about what we do. But also, you know, hunting, hunting podcasts are fun. You never know where they're going to go. You never know how long they're going to be. So uh, I'm I'm pumped. So what's your history with with hunting in and of itself, right? Yeah. So I I grew up um, southeastern Kentucky. It's Appalachia. Um, a lot of people are probably wondering where my accent is. Unfortunately, I lost it in college. Most of it, I can, uh, my co-founder, Chris will tell you, I still got it. If I'm talking to my mama, uh, he, uh, I told him one day we were in the car together and I said, I'm about to talk to my mama and I just want to let you know, I'm about to full blown like code switch on you. And he didn't, he had never heard that term. Uh, so I still got it if I need it. Um, but I, I grew up there. I grew up, uh, mostly fishing as a, like a young kid. Um, you know, teenage years started small game hunting a little bit with my dad and squirrel hunting. Um, and then after college, I got into, uh, you know, you go to college, you don't, I, I didn't do anything with the outdoors really besides camp and hike. Um, and I, I guess camp hiking off road. I, I've been, I, I was really big into off-roading all throughout my, I mean, I think I got my first four wheeler. I was like six, you know? Um, but I didn't really get hardcore into, um, hunting until after college, you know, I just started missing my roots and, um, started deer hunting with a guy. And, you know, at first I thought it was easy cause I was hunting with a good deer hunter. And when I wasn't able to hunt with him anymore, I, I learned how hard it is to learn whitetail. And I went on this multi-year journey of sucking and, and some might say I still suck and I might still agree with them. I'm at least better and more knowledgeable uh, partially because of what came out of this, which was our platform. But I spent, uh, you know, several years frustrated trying to learn about whitetail. This was from like 2014 to 16 that I was, uh, like starting this period of really focusing on whitetail. And then I guess it was even before that, maybe a little bit 13 to, uh, 16, but, um, and was frustrated with it. And now it's like, oh my God, how could you not learn online? But I mean, this is pre hunting public. This is pre meat eater. Like a lot of the shows that people credit, um, with, with getting into, or like, uh, you know, helping them along the way didn't really exist. So, uh, eventually this would, you know, we'll probably talk about it at some point, but eventually I got fed up with not being able to ask questions of people locally. I like, I just wanted to ask some Kentuckians about deer hunting and I didn't have any friends that did it really. So I, I ended up building a platform to help me help me selfishly. Right. Like that's kind of always the entrepreneurial stories. You see something that you think other people would like, cause it would help you. Um, but I I've gotten, you know, since then, um, I've gotten really into whitetail hunting, uh, love whitetail, love deer hunting, love, uh, dove hunting, which, uh, 
you know, something, something super fun. Uh, it's kind of like the gateway drug to hunting because there's beer and like people chill out and hang out in a field. Right. Um, but then, you know, I've, uh, I've gotten, I, I'm, I'm still trying out all the ways you can hunt on the East coast. You know, there's a whole world of Western that I haven't even done yet. Uh, so that's kind of my, my hunting journey in a nutshell. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff to it, but, uh, the food aspect of it, you know, just keeps me super excited about it. So when you quote unquote started out and started sucking, was that public land or private land or? Yeah, I've done both. Um, the, the, the guy I was hunting with that I mentioned earlier was private. So we were hunting, uh, probably 30 acres, 20 to 30 acre plots down in Southeastern Kentucky, um, lower deer population down there, but you know, this guy was good and he knew where to go and he had his cameras and he knew where they were coming through and he had stands already set up. So it was literally like, just show up and see deer. And, um, I thought that's what it was like, but then I started hunting on public by myself and, um, you know, public land in Southeastern Kentucky on opening day, it was like Walmart parking lot, you know, there's orange everywhere. I really, that was my first intro to the orange army was that first season I went out and I, um, you know, it's crazy that one day that literally the day before you're out there and there's nobody out there and then opening morning, it's nuts. So, um, I, I learned some lessons of how much the woods change changes on opening weekend of gun in, uh, and modern gun in Eastern Kentucky. But yeah, I've done, I've done quite a bit of both. I, um, my, my success is not on public. I mean, usually, um, I'm hunting public in Eastern Kentucky and it is, it is tough, man. It's like, pressure deer. I've got this one spot that I love. Um, it's down tucked into the Cumberland gap area. That's where I'm from. And, um, you know, there's, there's a good amount of public land down there, but I like trying to find the stuff that's like really, uh, not even accessible to uh, a side-by-side or a four-wheeler or something and trying to hike in. And it's fun. It's like a, it's like a little taste of, uh, Western hunting here on the East coast. Um, still haven't, gotten anything out of there. Um, but, but it's, it's fun. You know, I've done, I've done, I guess the answer to that is I've done my share of both. So you're not much different than, you know, a lot of the guys that listen to this show. One of the big things is we're trying to bring on guys and, and, uh, help them to, you know, teach me same thing with this podcast is like you building the platform, right? It's like, now I've got, uh, I, I, curtail myself as the world's worst bow hunter. And so when I talk to other guys, you know, guys that are much better hunters than I am or that than we are, I'm always asking it from like a genuine place and and from, you know, the, from the new guy perspective, because there's people on here that have never killed a deer with a bow that have never killed a deer ever. They've never killed their first buck. So in that time from being, you know, from, from sucking. And so now not to, to sucking that much, uh, or not, not sucking as bad. Um, what do you think has changed? Like what, what's one of the biggest things that you've taken away, you know, that you've learned that's helped you not, or I guess to be better. Yeah. I think, um, a ton of whitetail guys and even the guy I used to hunt with did not play the wind very well. I learned this later. Um, I think a ton of whitetail guys, think that they're just going to cover up their scent and um, it doesn't matter. A lot of, a lot of guys hunt the same stand over and over. And I used to do that. I played that game. I just thought you had your stand and you go out and you sit in your stand and like deer get used to it. Um, a couple of years ago, I started moving a lot more around and even on like a 70 acre property, 
I can maximize my, my deer that I'm seeing like fivefold if I'm paying attention to the wind and, and thinking about how, uh, you know, bucks like to move through the wind and, um, you know, really getting an understanding for, um, again, I'm not good. I'm, I don't want to like try to make myself sound cool. I'm just, this is mm-hmm. what I've learned. Uh, but like trying to get an understanding of, desires for that time of year. I think a lot of people hang trail cameras up and they see them coming through in August and they think they're going to be there in November and they're not, they're just, that's not how it works. You know, um, I, I learned that the hard way a couple different years. Uh, w- one year I had this freak freaky tall 11, uh, point deer on camera all through, you know, watched him go through velvet and everything. And I, he's at my stand without bait, like consistently. And I thought I was going to come in there and kill that deer and, you know, I hunted that stand, I don't know, probably eight different days, never saw that deer, um, never saw more than a forky. And then I was talking to the, um, this was an early lesson for me. Um, I was talking to a guy that was private property. It was, it's a huge swath of private property down in uh, Appalachia though. It's probably 600 acres. And this, this guy that managed the land was like, oh yeah, the deer aren't down here anymore. They're up the mountain. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I don't know. This guy didn't even hunt. He's just like, I don't know, but I stopped seeing them in November down here. They move up, like the rut was hitting and they were moving up uh, in, in the cover, I guess, ch- chasing those does. And um, I was like, well, holy smokes, I've been sitting down here for days, not seeing deer. And I thought that it was just like a timing thing. I'm like, no, they're going to come back through here eventually. And, and so you just learn um, you know, to, to really try to figure out where they're going to be. Now the ruts also can be crazy. And, you know, I've shot multiple deer that had never been on camera before and they, you know, who knows where they were coming from. Um, but, but one of my biggest things, I'll just repeat that of like, one of the biggest things I've learned is getting mobile and trying to anticipate where they're going to be given, uh, the wind. And, and even on a property as small as what I hunt, it makes a huge difference. I mean, I've got, um, let's see, three stands there. I've got a climber stand out there. And, um, I keep telling myself I'm going to get into, um, uh, a system like tethered, uh, or, or, you know, some, some kind of saddle, uh, because that's the ultimate mobility because, because then, I mean, I really have free range over that whole property. And I think it would open up even more visible, more, more deer. I mean, there's, I, I, I know there's big deer out there cause I've seen them. Uh, I had one encounter a few years ago where last night of archery before modern gun, I had a huge mature eight point come in. I had the 10 point I had been targeting. And then I had one of the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life who I couldn't tell he was too far away to count, get a inch count. And I'm not, or a, a point count. And I'm not a guy who can be like, Oh, it was 190 inches. I just, I don't see enough 190 inch deer to know what that looks like. Um, but it was the biggest deer I've ever seen. I thought it was a cow the first time I saw it. And he was dogging a doe and they're all coming down into this spot. And then I didn't see another one of those deer the rest of the season. So, uh, which I had seen that 10 point multiple times. He was my target and had him on camera, but the rut just gets so crazy, you know? So, um, I try to just do a better job of anticipating based off wind. Like that's really the, the thing I've learned the most. There's obviously other things, but you know, I, I worry about scent way less than I used to because it's just, you're just not going to fool a deer. Like it really just comes down to that. They, I mean, if you smell lasagna, they can smell all 13 ingredients in it. You know, there's just, their noses are unreal. Um, you, you might, the way I always think about it is, um, I walk outside and I smell a skunk that's really strong. 
I'm stopping and I'm going to look around to see if there's a skunk on my doorstep, <laughs> right? If you walk out and it's really faint, though, you might keep going. That's basically what you're trying to do with scent. Is that, like you're not going to cover scent, but you might make it thin enough to where they won't freak out. And that's basically what I try to do. I don't get obsessive about it anymore like I used to, and I see more deer than I used to. Again, could be uh, fluke. I'm again. I don't claim to be like. I didn't come on here to really give deer advice because I'm not <laughs> the guy you should. Like, I accidentally shot a, a spiked deer this year and tagged out my my buck tag. Like, I'm an idiot. Don't listen to me. But that you to answer your question, it's scent. Well, I mean, that's the the real life of deer hunting, and I think you know as we get further into this, um, it, you know, it, it's been said everywhere. It doesn't matter whether it's talking about people showing off their money, their cars, their girlfriend, their gym, like it's, it's people's highlight reels. Right. And so for, for guys, you know, when you're not necessarily, you know, this isn't your first year hunting, but you're rather new to the game of whitetail hunting, uh, you know, for guys that have been doing it for 40 years or, or, or whatever, you know, they think that you're just going to walk in and kill a 140 and everybody's killing 140s and you know that i i can't tell you how many people that you see on social media that we talk to and they're like yeah i'm not going to kill anything smaller than a 6 point or i'm not going to kill and it's like you know why because someone else is going to say something about it or right. or whatever you know yeah dude i mean i it's it's so funny this year i i real quick i'll tell the quick version of what happened to me this year i had seen what I thought was an 11 point on, uh, in person. I didn't have, I, I had such a crazy fall. I didn't even run cameras last year. I just showed up. And on one of my first few hunts, I saw this huge 11 point. And I'm like, that's my target. And I was archery hunting. I felt really good about, I had, I knew I had enough days. I was like, I'm going to find that deer. And I did see him a couple of times, um, including the last night. I always have like interactions with really good deer the last night before, um, uh, gun season opens up, but I'd, I'd seen this deer a couple of times. And, um, I opening day of gun season on my walk out, um, I decided to get out a little bit, like maybe five minutes left of shooting light in case I, I didn't want to bump anything that might be behind me. And I wanted to be able to see, I come out and I face this deer. Um, and he is looking at me at about 80 yards and I'm huffing and puffing. Cause I just climbed out of a tree and walked up this hill with this big, uh, all day bag. So I, it was heavy. I had all my stuff that I've been out there with and, um, I could only see him really neck up. And I, I was like, I don't know if I want to neck shoot this deer. I'm huffing a little bit from being winded. It's a new gun that I'm, I, I've, I'm comfortable sitting and breathing, you know, normal pace. But, you know, I just was like, <gasps> you know, not, not in a position I felt comfortable. So I let him walk and he ran off. It was a good, I had plenty of time to think about it. It was 45 seconds. I pulled up on him. I let him go. And I'm like, well, he wasn't too spooked. He kind of like trotted off. I was like, he's probably going to be in this area tomorrow. Came back the next day and I started seeing deer immediately. Weather was like 36 degrees and, and raining, which is my least favorite. Uh, it was just like spitting. I'd rather it snow, right? Um, I was seeing deer and I saw this spike that I had passed on six times in archery season. And I was seeing a ton of spikes and forkies and I passed on a six and an eight point. And, uh, there was this decent little eight point out there, but you know, I, again, I'm like, I have plenty of time left to be patient. And I'm always kind of like, I don't want my hunt to be over. You know, if I shoot something 
first day out in archery and because my wife gets, I try, I try to stop telling my wife about deer I saw because she'll get mad. She's like, why are you doing this? It's like day eight, you know, shoot something. And I'm like, well, gun season's coming. I'll see what happens. So uh, second day I'm passing on the spike. And then uh, that eight point comes out at 110 yards and he's got his head turned towards me, like at a weird angle. And so I couldn't see how tall the tines are. And I was sure it was that eight point. Well, I only had about, from where he came out, I only had about 15 yards to make a decision because then it gets through where a pass-through would be going into the neighbor's property. And I knew there was a guy hunting down there. So it's like an unsafe situation. This deer gets right at that point, probably 13 yards of the 15 and looks up out of that weird head tilt he was doing. It's the freaking 11 point that I've been looking for, for the whole season. And I'm like, oh my God, I just passed on my deer because I'm an idiot. And on day two of gun in Shelby County, where it's like, everybody is shooting everything. Right. I heard, I heard a hundred, a uh, hundred shots before 8am the day before, <laughs> like every deer in the County is getting wiped out. Why, why did I not shoot the eight point? And so I sit there, this deer walks over the hill. I hear a gunshot and I'm pissed and I'm, I'm sitting here all day. I sat for four hours scolding myself for being so stupid. And then finally, I'm like, I don't even have, I'm running out of meat. I'm shooting the first thing that shows up. If it's a like first doe that shows up, this doe walks up 110 yards going the opposite direction of the one that uh, I passed on before. And she's moving. I, I'm verifying. Cause I know that spike is out there and he had these tiny little, just big enough to count points. And, uh, I verified three times through my scope that he, it was a doe. I shot her long story short after a long blood trail, I found her and it was the freaking spike. I had shot when the ears were up and I've got a picture to prove it of me holding them. You can't see the antlers. So his ears were up cause it was windy. And, uh, the only way I was able to get that deer to even stop, I was trying to bleat, like to get any kind of a sound for them to look up. Never would. I finally shouted like, you know, like, a, like the goat from the movies, basically like just shouting a loud noise into the air and that worked. And I, so I ended up tagging out like an idiot on a, uh, I will never again shoot a doe that far away when I've got a buck tag sitting in my pocket. Cause Kentucky, you only get one buck tag. So I'm, I was spent, you know? Well, it's funny. Cause the, uh, it, and apparently some of our listeners, uh, one of the guys on our Marco Polo found a, a spike shed already. And, uh, oh, yeah. they, they call them the Michigan 11 point. So, I mean, there, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's so. funny. That's really funny. I, uh, dude, um, I, if I actually, I got the skull of this thing in the freezer. I've joked that I'm going to mount it on a, um, an oversized plaque, like two feet by two feet. And it's going to have a little sign under the skull that says like all decisions have consequences or something <laughs> like that. Like it, it's a good reminder for me uh, because I got greedy and I should have shot that eight point and I would have had a heck of a lot more meat. I would have had not the trophy matters. I don't really care. I've never even met. I, I've met, I haven't measured any deer I've ever shot. And I've got a couple of nice bucks hanging on the wall at work. Um, but, you know, I just don't really care. Uh, but I, I was so I was so furious and, and embarrassed and like all the things, you know, um, but you know, go wild. I, I posted about it and talked about it on there. Cause it was, I was like, you know, I invented, I created this platform for people to be able to share this kind of stuff without feeling embarrassed about it. And it was awesome because I shared it and I had so many dudes that are like, dude, I've done it too. And it made me feel better. Like it really did make me feel better to know that other people are doing it too. I feel like, I, I mean, well, so first of all, the, uh, Prior to you shooting that deer, you said, well, 
I'm running out of meat. So yeah. And in, in reality, you know, the, you didn't ruin the meat. It's not like you, you could have shot the eight point. It could have ran over onto the neighbors and you could have found him four days later and the meat yeah, was spoiled. True. I mean, there's so many things that, you know, when we think about it in our mind about how terrible things happen, you know, there's much worse things, you yeah. know, than actually For harvesting sure. a deer. Right. But yeah. I mean, I've done one that was almost, I would say worse. I had the tags for it, but I mean, I, I was sitting there one day and I, these deer were coming up over this ridge and there was two deer, both does. I had doe permit. I shoot, come down off the recoil. Deer still standing there. <laughs> and there was still two deer standing there. Yeah. I'm like, what in the world? So I rack it on the shell, shoot. I watched it fall, you know. I walk over there. There's two deer laying there. Apparently, there was a third one that had come oh. up over the ridge that I didn't see. But, you know, you walk over there and you're like, oh, my God. Like, what yeah. did I do? So, I mean, it could always be worse. You know, it, yeah. it could have been in a situation where I didn't have multiple doe permits. Where yeah, it's right. Like, like, now I don't have tags. Right. But, uh, yeah, I know. There, there, there are a lot of people that even joked with there's there were some old timer guys that I ended up talking to about my story and they're like that's one of those drag it out in the woods and take the back straps only. I was like look man I don't play that game like I, I screwed up and I'm gonna own it. I'm not gonna break the law because I'm an idiot. Like uh you know I this I mean it burned me and uh I don't even I don't think I I went back out one more time trying to find the dough because this thing ended up being so small by the time I found it. Um you know, I, I thought it was a decent doe, but it would it was it would have been a small, not a small doe. It would have been normal. It just was not what I. It wasn't nowhere near like my 2020 deer, which I call my COVID deer because I found out I actually had COVID when I shot that deer. Um, you know that that deer was so big that I I I had to go out and buy a pulley system after that because I was like, never again will I get a deer I can't get up. Normally I can pull them up in my garage, so I went from like. The biggest deer I've ever shot body wise to the one of the smallest deer I've ever shot body wise. Well, I mean, if you're a numbers guy, it's just all averages out, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm a meat guy, so that, that that 2020 deer was awesome. The neck roast on that thing was was bigger than my thigh. It's insane. I mean, it's just like the fattest deer I've ever seen. He was huge, hmm. not a huge rack, but he was like gen- genetically the body on that deer was very big for Kentucky. Yeah, I shot one. The one that's behind me here. I shot that's one, a good bug. I shot one almost identical to that. It was a little bit bigger. Um, in 2000, I think in 2018. And um, that deer was, after it had dressed and everything, it was, we got an age, it was just a three and a half year old deer. But um, it was 187 pounds dressed. That's so nice. It was, yeah. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. It was like a basketball size neck roast. It was, yeah, it's it awesome. Nuts. Yeah. That's a good looking deer. So that, that, I don't know how wide that one is. It looks like it might be 20 or so. Um, that's about like the, I would say the stature of, I can't see how tall his tines are, but that's the, about the stature of the deer I'd been targeting, uh, like width wise and he didn't have a ton of mass, but he had good mass. Um, and I I actually ended up seeing this deer and I have a photo of him on my phone because he didn't die that day. I thought he did. Um, but a week later, um, someone else that the property I hunt, a couple different guys end up hunting it every year. Um, I I'm on a, it's just like a friend I don't pay for it. It's my dad's buddy lets me hunt it and he, he lets one or two other guys hunt it. And so, um, 
one of his family members came out and this guy's a Marine or, or not a Marine. Um, I think he was army. He, he, uh, serves and he, he never gets the hunt. And I was like, dude, if somebody's going to come in and get my deer, like he shot the deer I was targeting all season. And I was like, if somebody else was going to get it, I'm glad it was this dude. Um, you know, cause he, he never gets to hunt. It's like the only deer, day of the year he was going to get to go. And he, and he walked away. It ended up being, I thought it was 11 point, but it was a 12 or a, a 10 killer deer though. I'm sure this dude was stoked. Uh, but same stand and everything shot it right, right there in the same spot. So, well, it all worked out. I mean, and that's great that you can have that attitude. I mean, even now, like we said, like with social media and like, you know, guys in the same counties hunting the same, you know, show a trail cam picture and then somebody else yeah. and then it becomes like your deer and yeah. there's, there's plenty of, you know, articles. Oh, I've got buddies that have mourned. I, one of my. Uh, this guy I've met through go wild and have kind of gotten to become buddies with him, which he's a, a whitetail biologist and a uh, manager. Like he manages properties for people and gives, gives them plans and stuff. He had this freak of a deer that he's been watching for years and years and years and his neighbor shot it. And I think, I think Zach might've cried a little bit. Like it was like, uh, there's a picture of him with the deer and he just looks so sad, you know, which I get it. You know, that's his life. That's his livelihood. Um, and he had watched this deer for forever. I don't get into it at that level. I've gotten obsessed with deer before in the past. And I kind of learned my lesson, um, on a couple different seasons of just trying not to get too hung up on what you see on camera. You know, it's like a nice, it's, it's nice to learn if, you know, I've got a new property. I was scouting. It's, um, a very small, you know, seven acre urban property. And, um, you know, it's nice to see what's out there, but I try not to use it of, uh, I try not to get obsessed over it anymore. You know? Yeah. I'm not, uh, at that level at all. Um, but what I am doing is I, like I say, I, I have the benefit or the luxury of getting to pick the brains of all these guys that are like, right. You know, high level hunters and that trail camera stuff i'm beginning to see like why it's important and it isn't at all these guys aren't using them they're using them for inventory to know that that deer exists and then they're using them to see they don't really care what's going on other than the fact that that deer was there and was it in daylight or was it not was it morning or evening what was the wind like? What was the temperature? What were the conditions? So you're thinking, you know, outside of the rut, bed to food. So if he was going this way, he must be bedding that way. Yeah. Right? And if he was going this way, the food must be going that, it must yep. be over there. And when you start to look at trail camera photos, and I've got two years worth of trail cameras up at this one place over this community scrape. Like, I can tell you the days now, like October 25th through the 28th, that's when all those bucks, you know, they're not really rutting just yet, but they're checking that scrape looking for that hot dough. And that's the time frame. So, like, to be in there. And then, oddly enough, the for, for us, our gun season starts November 15th. The last two years, there's been a bigger buck than this one on that scrape during shooting light or like right at first light on the opener of gun season, which is much like you described for Mm -hmm. Kentucky. I mean, in Michigan, and this is Michigan public land, like, like, so it's about learning, you know, so back to what we were talking about before about 
you know, you learned about scent and all this other stuff, you know, there's so many things. And I like to usually ask people that run trail cameras, like, what are you doing with the information? Right. Because our, I feel like so many people are what I would call like a trail camera enthusiast. Like they yeah. love having these pictures of these deer. Never seen him on the hoof. They don't know, but man, they're super excited that he's there. Yeah. These high level guys, what they're doing is they're saying, how can I kill him? Now I know that a, he exists and I know that he's moving in daylight under these conditions. So now I need to put myself in a position to do it. Right. Yeah. You know, I, um, for years on a gut and again, I haven't killed like a, a one ninety or something. So like, this is just observation. Um, but for years have always kind of thought like, well, if I can find where the does are hanging though, like that's when rut starts, that's where you want to be. And I actually talking to my buddy, Zach, who I was talking about as a, as a, um, a biologist, that's, that's his strategy literally in, 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 uh, when rut hits, you're really focused. Like, I think a lot of guys get hung up on what I said earlier of, I've seen the bucks coming through here. You know, they're me sitting there waiting on a deer that is up the mountain chasing the does. And uh, to Zach's point, the biologist, he, he's talked about like, you really just shift your game entirely to the does and you're going to have a lot more luck that time of year. So looking for pinch points where, you know, you're more likely to have those deer funneling in, you know, if you do your scouting and like, I'll now pay more attention to, I used to just scan past the does uh, you know, to get to the bucks, but now I'm, I want to see a lot of does coming through on my camera. Now, my buddy, um, Bill Thompson, who's the founder of uh, Spartan Forge. I don't know if you know, Bill. Oh, oh yeah. You, Good. Okay. Very familiar with Bill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So B- Bill, um, you know, Bill's talked to me about, and I did a fascinating podcast on one of my shows with Bill, where Bill talked about like, you know, seeing, tons of uh bucks on camera is not a good thing if you want to kill a big one you know you really are trying to because they're not going to be around because they're super skittish um they're probably not even going to be on camera like bill for i uh, just quick background for anybody that doesn't know who bill is is a he's got chased terrorists for 20 years for the government Uh, he's a data scientist and took everything that he learned uh from from that and applied it to deer collar data and now has the data to Really, I mean, Bill is on his way, if not already, to understanding deer better than most people I know, right? Like, it, it's it's kind of insane how much he understands uh, their movements. And, uh, you know, he's talked about how a, a truly mature buck will not even come near a trail camera. You know, they're like Bigfoot. You're not going to get them on camera because they know something changed. And, uh, you know, he, he talks about how if he really is hunting for a big buck, he wants to see almost no deer on camera. So, so it kind of just depends on your objectives. Like for me, I don't know. I, if I'd shot that eight point that I passed on, I would have been super happy, right? Like I, that, that, that's more of my speed. I'm not out there trying to kill a, a 190, 200 inch deer. It's just not really like the stress of that. I don't put enough time to do that. I'm not, um, I'm not that obsessive about it. It's not what makes me happy. I'm not knocking you. If that's your thing, that's fine. Um, but I, I'm more, you know, just trying to get some volume out there and get, I like getting out and seeing them too. So, you know, Bill might be, Bill might like sitting 12 hours to see one big buck, but I don't know. I, I kind of like watching, you know, 15 deer come through in a day. There's a coyote. Like I, I, I like watching all that stuff. So. Well, I think that's a beauty of being hunters and being out there and like something that you can't ever, I don't, I don't know, like 
quantify to the anti hunter right. or, or to maybe to your wife or whatever that they're like, yeah. how can you go out there and sit all that time and, you know, not shoot a deer? Like, why was yeah. that fun? You know, like there was a, a hunt I did this year where I crawled like a quarter of a mile across these two fields to get set up right at last light for where these deer cross this ditch. And I, I was sweating and it was miserable. It was a terrible day. <laughs> And uh, I ended up not shooting the deer because by the time when they got to where I was at, it was a little bit too dark to make the shot at the distance that I needed to make it. And uh, I'm like, oh, that must have sucked. I'm like, that was awesome because I, yeah. I crawled that close, got that close, got set up, didn't get detected, you know. And just yeah. because I didn't shoot something doesn't mean that it wasn't like a successful hunt. And 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 that's one of the things for for new guys or whatever. It's like, what did you learn at the end of the day? Like that's what's more important. Even if even if you messed up, or even if you got busted, or you, even if you saw nothing, like if you ask yourself those questions, like why did that happen, or what can I take away from this, then you're going to be a better hunter for the next time, and the next time, and the next time after that. And yeah. it's really difficult to be in the woods and see your first deer, or trying to make that first you know shot, or take that first opportunity. If you haven't been in a situation where there's been deer around you or you've let deer walk or, you know, you've not been detected by that bird that lands on your shoulder or something, you know, just those cool little things that, yeah. that, that make the hunt, you know? Yeah. It's funny. One of our, uh, one of our teammates had hunted and he killed deer before, but it was kind of like my situation where a lot of his hunts had been. You know, with somebody else, uh, I think Braden, who's I'm, I'm talking about, some people may know him from the platform. Braden was is definitely relearning. He, he had a good learning season, and I, I kept giving him uh, a hard time because he's he's he loves to fish. He's really good at fishing, um, and you know, fishing. If you're good, you're going to go out and probably hammer a couple, right? Like you're going to catch something. Um, you may not get be huge, blah blah blah, but like it's different than hunting. Um, and, and he kept getting so jacked up and he's like, I'm going to get something tomorrow. I'm going to get it. Like he's getting all fired up. And I'm like, I mean, probably not Braden. Like, it's like, this isn't really, you know, I'll go out and a lot of times I'll hunt 25 times throughout deer season. No, it's not full day sits, but like, you know, um, well, at least before I got neck deep into go wild, uh, a lot of the times I would have 20, you know, 20 plus sits. And it's like, kill one deer out of that. You know, it's like, you, you gotta, it's, it's a different animal, uh, of a, a hobby. I hate calling it a hobby. I like to call it a lifestyle, but if you want to call it that just for comparison, like it's not fishing, man, it's, it's, it's not high action like that where you can go out and do that every night and get bass thumb. Um, it's, it's just different. Uh, this year I got, you know, I have multiple instances of seeing, uh, tons of deer at like one time I hunted from the ground cause it was super windy you know, and I got them like coming up within five yards and they don't even know I'm sitting there. And it's fun to see what you can get away with. Right. When you're, you're kind of learning, like how much can you push it and move before they spook or anything? Um, I, I think all that stuff's super fun. I said, I said one time this season, um, I'm, I'm, I was hunting a Creek along a Creek, which is kind of the property line. And this red tail Hawk was bombing these squirrels trying to pick one up. And I watched this thing for two hours coming through there. It's like, this is a nature show, you know, I mean, you never know what you're going to see. So as we're coming up, like on turkey season, like where are you at with that? 
Yeah, I love turkey hunting, man. Uh, I uh, also kind of suck at turkey hunting. I feel like I've gotten a lot better at it over the years. Um, the last year I didn't get one, but it honestly, I felt like it was my best performance turkey hunting, which is, uh, sounds kind of weird. Um, we, we had a sweepstakes winner from go wild who came down from Michigan. It was supposed to happen in 2020, got canceled because of COVID. So he comes in and we had, uh, Jeremiah Dowdy from build a plate. I don't know if anybody knows him. He's a chef, wild game chef. And then I had his buddy, Tony Caggiano, who's a professional Turkey guide at, at last year when we killed this bird, this was like his, this was Tony's 386th bird or something that he had guided. And he, he, he's killed more than 300 himself. So like, I literally know no one that's killed more turkeys than this guy. And so I got to watch him, um, that weekend hunting, uh, and calling. And I learned more probably in those two days of watching Tony, um, than, than any amount of YouTube videos, any amount of watching meat eater or listening to podcasts. And you know, I love the, uh, Turkey tech app for learning to call. I recommend it to everybody. Well, it's my buddy Taylor's app. Um, he's got Scott Ellis on there teaching you how to call. It's awesome, but nothing beats seeing a real guide in person working a bird. And uh, we we ended up killing the third largest bird that Tony had ever guided to. It was a big monster of a turkey. Um, and I got to watch him pull this thing off a hen um, and and down 100 yards and, and come in for a perfect shot. Uh, I loved that. And then I had multiple times when the, the birds were still very much hinned up for like a majority of the season. Um, and, and Tony was able to pull a bird off of a live hen, which is very hard to do if you've been turkey hunting, mm -hmm. uh, especially at that distance. Um, I had multiple times when I would, I would, I was getting into birds that were with hens and I'm not Tony, I couldn't do it. But I applied a lot of what I knew and I would get them into like 40 yards, but through brush and whatnot that you're hunting with a turkey, I couldn't make it happen. But it was a super fun season because I felt like that bird, I had that bird convinced I was real, right? Like that we were going back and forth. I just couldn't, you know, I didn't have the the finesse. That's really where like I what I realized with him, it's not your yelping, like your yelping can sound like crap. Uh, honestly, like, so it's, you can, it, it, a lot of times he would yelp and I'd be like, really, you know, and it's not that he sounded bad. He's just like, he knows that they have variation. Um, so, but I, 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 uh, I hunted a couple times with my co-founder last season. Um, you know, again, we get them, we get them into one time with Tony, even Tony, Tony had a couple of hunts that uh, we did that he couldn't get them off the hens either. I mean, it was just, it was just one of those seasons. Um, but I love it, man. Like I even turkey hunting, I, I come home sometimes and I'm so excited because, you know, you're five yards from coyotes that are running by. And, um, you know, I, there's, I basically turkey season is my favorite when it's spring. And, and then if you ask me like, you know, even in midsummer, I'm like, oh yeah, deer hunting. Cause deer hunting's coming up. Like I just love them so much for different reasons. So what were you able to, like, you said it helped you just being able to watch them. What did you take away from what he was, I mean, cause that's what everybody that's listening to this is going like, well, what did you, what did what, you, what'd you learn? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I was sworn to secrecy. Now, um, Tony, um, really got into the finesse of the purse and, um, like he tried like a calm purse at first and, uh, you know, kind of like you're, you're almost like we went through clucking and then some soft purring and, and trying to make the, it sound inviting. 
And we did that for 30 minutes, probably. Um, and you know, this thing, it was kind of funny. We were just to explain like how determined this bird was to not come to us. Tony would call and yelp and he would bring up three other gobblers that were coming with three of them together would come back up from various sides. And then this big bird that was on our left would gobble. And it was the raspiest, like gobble, 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 you know, these other ones like, and then you hear this thing and you're like, that is such a distinctly different gobble sound. You could tell it was an older, like this is, this is the, the bad mamma jamma of the woods, right? We ended up nicknaming him Gobzilla before we could even see him. Cause you knew this thing was huge because he would come down and gobble. And then those other birds would run off. You could literally hear them take off when he would gobble. And that was pretty cool in itself. Right? So this went on for an hour of like calling in three. And then this thing would come down and yell at them and then they would run off. Okay. We got to call them back. Cause he, this guy's not coming. And so finally though, uh, this guy got to where we could see him a hundred yards out through brush and we knew he was there and we were pretty sure he was with the hen. He's spitting and drumming and you could hear it. And Tony even said, he's like, dude, the fact that we can hear that at uh, 80 to hundred yards away, we couldn't range it because he's just eyeballing it, but it's like, holy smokes, that's a big bird. Um, and so he, he got into that like soft clucks and, you know, some purrs. And then the thing that I wouldn't have known to do uh, was, was he, he started then getting aggressive with the hen and getting her irritated Mm -hmm. and uh i she never came all the way down but that was enough to where it interested him now and then he started coming to the the fighting purrs that he started doing and again it was like he was just kind of going through his bag of tricks it wasn't like um and he didn't even tell you he was kind of getting frustrated because i mean at this point we've been calling this bird for two hours Mm -hmm. and and i would have 100 given up um before probably walked out of the field in frustration like an hour, you know, midway through after this bird would not move this long, <clears throat> but we worked it. And, uh, the fight when, when he started, once it was like committed off of the, the, uh, the fighting purse, then it was, it was on like he, he came in. I mean, he didn't run, but it was a five minute, hundred yard walk. He's moving and swollen up and he's still moving around, you know, um, and then he came in. It was we got footage of this. It was killer footage. He comes in like, basically went right at the um, the, the decoy. And uh, Tony ended up telling the guy to shoot it after one pass because he, he was afraid. This guy's on camera. It's a sweepstakes. He's hunting with a professional. He's got me and two other cam- guys sitting behind him. So he could tell Tony could tell he was nervous. So he took him really quick. Uh, there was no like watching it fight the decoy because we were afraid he was gonna get nervous and miss (laughs) yeah those guys that know what they're doing i mean so like i just pulled this one from so this is like uh i don't know nice 11 inches 11 that's what i say it looks like an 11 inch beard something and that bird my father-in-law used to call for rod benson game calls he called at all the shows and he'd go around so i know exactly what you're talking about when you see someone who i mean when he sits down i guess like you know when you see like one of those videos, like whatever, like CIA guy or whatever, they have like a torture scene and they come out and they roll out their it's bag torture kit, and yeah. they got like, that's what he's like. He's got, you know, a dozen strikers. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's what he does. And he's like, if this one doesn't work, then it's this one. And then as soon as he gets them going, but that bird in particular, we had seen from the road and we were actually leaving and I thought it was a stump and he's like, no, that's a bird. We went around the corner, and it was 
a solid two hours. We I had fallen asleep, and he was 50 yards or so behind me, and uh, he actually got up to leave, and that bird had come around the corner, and it was just slow. He just strutted the entire way. I mean, two hours of this bird just strutting back and forth, but he was just slowly working his way to our decoy set, and I ended up waking up to turkeys all around me. That's <laughs> then, awesome, though. And then I ended up killing him, but... Um, yeah, that Tony Tony did the same thing. Uh, he would he had that that was another thing. Uh, I, after that, I was like, I hunt with way too few calls because he would just keep rotating through trying to find something that they liked. That part of it was like fishing. You know, you, you're throwing something until you start getting bites, and then consistently you'll start getting bites off of that whatever they're liking that day. Right? Um, he was doing a lot of that and and rotating through. Um, the other thing that was kind of funny to me. Um, was how loud he was like in general um he would do um a whole lot of simulated like scratching and r- realism you know he's like raking a stick and stuff and i, I was i was like man you I, I would have thought you'd spook a turkey mm-hmm. um doing some of the stuff he was doing and the other thing just comically uh like talking at almost normal volume at times and mm-hmm. i'm like these things can hear incredibly well, but this guy knew what he was doing. It was just funny. Like I wouldn't recommend that part of it, but it's, I'm, I bring this up to say he has hunted turkeys enough to know when he's not heard. Uh, like it was very interesting. I mean, we, we killed a massive bird, so it obviously worked. Uh, but I thought that part of it was kind of funny because sometimes he'd just be talking normal volume and then sometimes he'd whisper. Uh, but, but I, that, that I hadn't hunted with the Turkey guy before. So it was kind of funny to me. Yeah. It's, you know, I never, I didn't grow up turkey hunting. And so I've just gotten into it through all this. And you say, well, you know, I didn't kill a bird last year. Like I haven't killed a bird. And well, since we've been doing the podcast, I've been trying to kill him with a bow. And, uh, I've, oh, that's I, tough. I've, well, I, it's for us, like in, we're in Michigan, there's turkeys everywhere. Like I've, I've missed so many turkeys with my bow. Like last well, yeah, year, you're, you're shooting at a target that's <laughs> nothing. Well, last year I tried to shoot one with a longbow, and uh, I missed like literally the where I'm talking to you at right now is probably like hmm, eight feet from the TV, and that's about how far I missed yeah. that last year. Just and it was so fun. Like we were laughing and yeah. cutting up and stuff, and. What you said about like the one buck in Kentucky, like how you didn't want your season to be over, like that's the way that it is for turkey season, right? It's like we get one turkey here in Michigan and, you know, it's over and it can be over as soon as the sun comes up, you know, and especially with a shotgun. So, like, it's, it is such, I don't want, I understand how people like down south, like, live and breathe turkey hunting when you can kill more than one bird or maybe you're like, in like Northern Florida or Northern Georgia or something where you can be in three different States in an hour or something. So, you know, the season is longer. It it makes for a completely different feel than like for me, it's like, well, kill one Turkey and I'm not traveling to other States to hunt turkeys at this point. So yeah, it's over. Assuming, assuming we have uh, our normal tags, Kentucky can do two. So assuming they didn't change that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's where, you know, everybody's kind of head is moving towards the, the turkey season. And, um, for us, it's, it's just the, it's just the next thing, you know, your, yeah. your wife's like, oh, well, you're just 
you just hunt all the time now. Like, well, I have a, you know, a hunting podcast. Like you're, you're like, well, it's for work, honey. You know, it's for, yeah. you know, we got to have this. For- <laughs> yeah. Dude. Uh, the one thing that, uh, if you ask me the same question of like, how, cause I've, I've gotten better at, um, my first few seasons of going after turkeys were just abysmal. Actually, my first season, I killed the biggest bird I've ever killed. He's got a beard similar to what you pulled up there. Um, I think it was 10 and a half inches total luck. Me and my dad had no idea what we were doing. And just happened to like, we got permission on this property. We go up, we set a blind up. We're like, I don't know. This looks like a good turkey spot. And then, you know, had a bunch of them come in and I shot this, this big gobbler. Um, like I, he was like 24 and a half pounds. Um, and I've, I've yet to even get close to that again. Um, but you know, it's, it's funny because, um, I, when I started hunting, it's like the guys that I was talking to hunt with turkey blinds and that's just what you did. And, I thought that's how you hunted turkeys. And then um, when I got into Go Wild, I started talking to these guys because, you know, selfishly, I've, I have hosted, I think I'm on my third podcast now, uh, meaning like shows. So like I had another show, one show we did, I don't know, probably 200 episodes on with bonus shows total. Uh, I've done Gearbox Talk, which we're approaching 100 episodes on. And so I've, I've gotten to talk to some really smart people. It's, like you said, it's kind of a nice little benefit of, the, of hosting a podcast. And when I started learning about the running gun, that mm-hmm. that being mobile and turkey hunting is everything. I mean, it is everything. Um, I learned that also uh, reinforced with with hunting with that pro. You know, those guys would very quickly decide they did not want to be in a spot and they'd move. And, and you know, it's these are guys that again have killed six hundred birds, six hundred plus birds in his life. So, um, you know, I, th- I think. Too many, too often people are sitting all day yelping to themselves instead of trying to move. And yeah, you're going to get busted some, but you're going to, you're going to also hear a lot of turkeys off in the distance that you might be able to pull, especially if you're not hunting Easterns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And that's the, you know, when I got into turkey hunting, like there was no blind, there was no anything. And yeah, you know, the only since we've been trying to hunt them with, uh, with bows, have we, implemented the blind but yeah you have to i mean you got to have some kind of block even if it's not full blind Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but i mean we even got into one uh like i say i I missed them all so i missed them every single way but we ran it we were running and gunning them with no blind and i I got a shot on one and i just ended up hitting a tree hit a branch i always tell people uh it's like yeah i would love to turkey hunt with a bow but it's hard enough for me with a shotgun. I don't really need that extra uh, <laughs> layer of complexity of trying to draw, um, you know? So I, the last, I, I didn't get a bird last year. I did get one in 2020. Uh, I called him my redemption bird. Cause that bird, I hadn't killed one in a couple of years. And I ended up shooting a Jake because I like Turkey legs. It's like, I wasn't going to hold my pride. And like the first bird I've had within 50 yards in years, I'm not going to pass on him. Uh, so um, I, I haven't scouted for Turkey yet, uh, on my property, but it's always good to me. It's always got birds. So, um, I, I plan on being out there for it this year with my shotgun. Cause I'm, I'm just in it for the Turkey legs, man. That's like, I love, I got some great, uh, like Vietnamese soups and stuff that I like to make with those Turkey legs. Yeah. I'll have to uh, get that recipe. We'll, oh, yeah, we'll, dude. we'll, we'll link it down in the, the show notes. I'm going to kill one with a bow this year. Um, I'm done messing around. <laughs> I can tell. I, <laughs> like, I can feel it. This is your year. Well, and we talk about it with, uh, with, uh, rifle hunting, like, or with, uh, with all of deer hunting and everything, but like, 
if you would have seen the misses and the things that have happened to me, like there's no reason that I shouldn't have killed the turkey. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had all the opportunities in the world. It's just, it was just so, me. <laughs> that, I've talked to a couple guys about this and I, I'm always finding it interesting. Are you going for vitals? Or are you going for head? Well, so this year it's going to be minute a bird. Like I'm, I'm putting it on its wing, butt. I'm, I'm going to shoot him in the center of the fan if he's facing away from me. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm not shooting for, for the head. And and last year, I was shooting for the head with a big yeah. gobbler guillotine on, you okay. know, out of a long bow. So I got a 64-inch bow in this blind. And the, literally, the turkey was seven yards away, five yards away, maybe. Um, and I just sent it right over top of his head. I never even came to full draw. I mean, it, the turkey was in there. We got tons of video of him fighting the decoy and doing all the stuff. And then I just yeah. sent one right over his head. And with uh, – nor I mean, even right now, like I've – before the podcast, I can shoot 10 yards in my basement. I've been shooting the longbow 10 yards in the basement, 10 yards in the basement. But I'm not even messing around with that. Like I'm going to – I'm going to send a broadhead through the yeah. the vitals of a turkey – but the one I mean, that I, my, I've always thought that makes more sense because even if even if it's not a great shot, they're not going to be they're going to be wounded. You you can probably pull off a second shot on them. Uh, go to my YouTube and there is a video of me running across the field with a turkey that has my arrow stuck in his wing. Uh, he was strutting like this, and he he turned like quartering away, and I shot one right through his wing bone into the decoy. So. Mm-hmm. I killed a hundred and ten dollar Avian X. was a Navy X. Oh, no. <laughs> and it pulled out the insert, so the broadhead stayed in the decoy, and the turkey ran off with my arrow, and I'm chasing it across this field. And uh, you know what? There's a product <laughs> idea. I'm, I'm I'm mulling here. I'm seeing like a bow fishing yeah. for turkeys. You know, yeah. Yeah. just put them on a string and then you reel them into you once you you pluck up that. Somebody go make that product. Well, yeah. after this year, we're gonna see. I mean, they used to yeah. make those. There was a string tracker. There was all that stuff. They got. Oh, yeah, that. so this was a thing. Oh, so back so back in the day, like way back in like the late '80s, early '90s, there used to be like on your stabilizer that used to be just a, a spool and there was okay. a, a and you would put that behind your broadhead and so you'd shoot through a deer and it would just zip out i've never seen this <laughs> yeah which i you know again i didn't get into deer hunting until way later than that so <laughs> oh yeah it's funny so 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 back in the day that that did exist yeah i mean i've seen that with with the bow fishing so I, i'm familiar with the technology <laughs> I guess somebody said, "Hey, we could fish with this." <laughs> yeah, and uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that at all. So I'm going to have to. Uh, I don't know. John might still have one, um, but I'll, I'll look it up. I'll maybe I'll make a post on Go Wild. We haven't even got into like what Go yeah, Wild is. Or like, I told you sometimes this happens. <laughs> so, so let's talk about like the whole Go Wild thing. So you said uh, when you got out of college and then you were getting into hunting and. I just I just feel like uh, people don't normally do that if you went to school for if you were in medical school, right? So, what did you go to what, what did you go to college for, and how did that transition to to go wild or whatever? Yeah, so I have a very unusual background for a, a, a 
tech CEO. I actually am a journalism major and I was a journalist for several years before jumping ship. And I did advertising for seven years before getting in or launching go wild. So, or before going full-time with go wild, I, um, I had a, about an 18 month period where, um, I, I worked full-time in advertising and was still getting go wild off the ground. So I have, a. I have a background in storytelling, really. I mean, that's the part that applies is that, you know, pretty much my whole career, whether I was a journalist or in advertising um, or doing, I did a lot of branding work for companies, naming companies, coming up with backgrounds and uh, interesting stories for, for branding. So all that's just storytelling at the end of the day. And, you know, for, for our company, um, what are we then, you know, helping someone tell their story and, helping uh, people develop their stories. You know, if you want to learn more about turkey hunting, we have what I think is the best platform to do it. You know, I, I use it all the time in that way. If I want to learn something, I'm asking questions of the community and uh, pushing it that way. And, you know, I think um, a lot of, I think my team would tell you and my co-founders would tell you this four co-founders total. I think they would tell you that, um, you know, everybody brought something to the table that you couldn't take away, right? It was very foundational to the company. And and one of my skills was definitely just understanding um, the the storytelling and then uh, from from the, the hunter-angler perspective, right? Of like, the, that's my value add to the product. And so what is it? So for guys who are like, well, you know, I've heard about Go Wild or I've seen it. Yeah, it's like you guys keep talking places. about it, but you don't tell us what it is. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, Tell us yeah, the story. A, Come on. <laughs> so Go Wild is a social media platform for outdoor enthusiasts. You can share your content there. It's going to be uncensored. You're not going to get flagged, throttled, and shadow banned and all that good stuff. And in fact, we actually give you points. So if you load in your deer from last season, you'll you'll earn points. And you may not care about points until I tell you that points get you rewards. So um, you can also shop on our platform. So these rewards come in the form of sometimes free stuff. Like right now, if you download and post a couple of times, you're probably going to get a free t-shirt. Uh, we, we do stickers. We have discounts to Garmin. Like there's a hundred dollars off a Garmin uh, zero that you can earn. You can unlock uh, 25% off muck boots. There's vortex rewards in there. Um, any brand that we sell, we usually have some kind of reward that you can unlock at some point. There's $5 gift cards, there's $25 gift cards, there's flat rate discounts. So the, the platform is really rewarding you for your time outside. And, you know, there's, there's all these different ways you can share. You can share your trophy, which pins your deer or your fish or whatever to your profile. So if I check out your profile, I can kind of see what you're into and see some of the trophies you have quickly. Um, one of the coolest things, because we, we do have that shopping component and we have the social side, um, it's not just a social app where you can shop. You can actually post and tag gear. So as you're, you know, looking for gear, one of the coolest things is that, like, if I look up a Garmin Instinct right now on our platform, there's like 170 posts about that product, and so you can actually go through and see how people are using that product in the field. And you know, uh, it's something like an optic. You know, if you're looking at red dots and you're wondering if that red dot's good for turkey hunting, you can look it up in our app and see, are people using this for turkey hunting? Oh, here's 12 people that use this. I'm going to, you can interact with those people. 
this isn't like a an Amazon review where you're you're like, oh, I I don't know. I can see that um, there's there's a review, but I can't ask this person questions really. Like there's no dialogue really. So you can actually, you know, communicate with people about the gear. You can tag that gear when you're posting. That's how we're getting that information. So um, when you post a, a deer on Go Wild, you can actually tag the broadheads you're using or whatever it is. So we've got 500,000 plus products that you can tag. That's growing by the week on how many products we have. And then if we don't have it, you can upload your own stuff. So if you shoot a custom bow, you can upload that and share that as part of your story. So um, I kind of threw a lot at people, but basically what it boils down to is the social, the shopping and the rewards. Okay. So I'm going to ask you a question here and it's not like derogatory or whatever, but like, so, you know, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn, all this stuff. Like, why do we need another app? Yeah. To have to follow or take time on. I mean, you're, you're, you're rewarding the time for, you know, so you're incentivizing it like in that way. But like, you know, that, that's what everybody's going to say. It's like, why is it necessary? We're already going through all of these other things. Yeah. So the, I mean, you kind of answered it for me earlier. You said everybody's here trying to learn. Um, I have the fastest way to learn anything. You can post a question on our platform and crowdsource answers. I mean, I've seen people turkey hunting and turkey season say there uh i'm going to bed tonight but uh it's going to be raining and windy all night long i'm going turkey hunting in the morning and i have no idea how this weather is going to impact turkeys can you guys help that person wakes up to 15 20 comments on their post ready to roll and it's like where else can you do that because most of these guys that you're, you're talking about listening to your show you know, if you're, if you're new to something, you generally don't know where to turn to. It's like me with whitetail hunting, right? I sucked at it and I didn't have people to coach me on it. So where do I turn to get help? And so we built a system. Um, and, and I don't want to keep like adding things you can do because it makes it sound complicated. And, and, but it's when you post, you can tap a button that says, ask the community. So if you have a question, literally we ask you, if you're asking a question, push that button, dude. Now the algorithm goes to work and it's like, well, Brad is posting about turkey hunting. Here are the top people in turkey hunting that I think it will be, will be able to answer this question for him. So the app will actually message people, not message, they get a notification like Brad's asking a question that we think you can help with. I mean, it, it's awesome for crowdsourcing knowledge. Like that is by far what we built it to do. You can tap into turkey hunting. Like we have, um, we don't operate on a friend's model, you can follow somebody and be buddies with them or whatever, but, um, you don't have to do that. It's, it's content based. So think of it more like a Reddit or a face bunch of Facebook groups. So if you want to go into the Turkey hunting Facebook group, which we call a trail, you can also hit the near me button, which now all of the people in my state. So you're in Michigan, all of the people in Michigan and within 120 miles of you that are talking about turkey hunting right now, here they are. You can go in and connect with all these people. Like you can't do that. There's nowhere else to be able to do that. Uh, we've really tried to focus on building a product that is not just replicating Facebook and coloring it camo or, or hunter orange. That's what most of the social apps for hunting have done up till now. And then they stick maps in it. It's like, Okay. Like there are literally have been dozens of that product I just described. It's like, Oh, let's go make a Facebook for hunting. And they don't add anything to that experience. Well, 
you can't out Facebook, Facebook, Facebook as a product is really hard to compete with. So we've tried to focus on things that you can't find elsewhere, like the near me feature where I can find bass fishermen near me, or, you know, this is a great way to find people to fish with, if that's what you're into. Um, we have the, the gear functionality I mentioned, the rewards we mentioned, and a ton of people. I've been shocked at how much it resonates with people that I just tell them because it's it's happening to enough people now that they know it's happening. Uh, but the the fact that we don't throttle your posts or or censor you for posting gun uh, guns, you know, you can't even post a picture of a gun on TikTok or a video on, of a gun on TikTok. It's against their terms, and they use artificial intelligence to scan those videos, and they'll remove your your videos. And then if you do it again, you know, enough times, they'll delete your account. So there, we're we're in a a space where it's not only allowed but rewarded. It, how is it? Um moderated and i mean hopefully you don't you wouldn't have to deal with that because you know in theory you're bringing in all the like-minded people so everybody's excited about all these topics but i mean if we are projecting out that go wild is the facebook for deer hunters or the tiktok for deer hunters or or whatever i mean isn't there the propensity for eventually the antis or someone to come in and then they can just spam everything as. Yeah, they could. Um, we haven't had too much of the anti stuff I and mean, we get bots every now, anytime you have an app that's getting downloaded a lot, you're going to get bots. Uh, not even bots. Bots is the wrong term. I say that because people know what I mean. Um, it's actually just scammers. I mean, you're going to get scammers on any platform. I get them on my LinkedIn all the time. When I was on Instagram, I got them all the time. Instagram's really bad for it because they are bots. They're they're automated. Um, we 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 have terms though, um, and I get this question a lot of like, how are you going to handle this when it happens? Our terms are totally different than than what other platforms are doing. Um, other platforms are trying to please everybody. And our terms say, if you come in here, you know, harassing people for legal hunting take, we will delete you. And we have, and I mean, and that's sometimes that's hunters. That's the thing. You, people always ask me about the antis. Um, you know, we actually, I'll delete you if you come in and you make fun of a kid for shooting a spike, you're gone. Like, that's not what we do in our platform. Um, it, in that way, it is more like a really well moderated Facebook group or a Reddit thread. You know, if you've ever been in a sub a subreddit um, where the moderator really takes it seriously and like they police it well, it can be a great place to connect with people. Um, a lot of those forums can be really intimidating, though. You know, if you've ever posted on a Facebook group and gotten yelled at because that question was just asked two days ago, like that happens. It doesn't happen on our platform for whatever reason. We've got a more familial feel to it. You know, people are really cool, but on, in terms of like how you ask, how does it get moderated? Um, we are not moderating really much at all directly. It, it's pretty much there, there's an algorithm that knows what you follow. It knows who you interact with and it knows of the people that you follow. And, and we think are like the people you would like how popular their content is. So we try to get stuff that's in front of you. That's interesting. That's first and foremost. Um, and again, that's mostly based off of what you follow from a content perspective. So if we know you're into turkey hunting, um, you're going to get turkey hunting content. Then it kind of comes down into, um, you know, again, interactions uh, with posts, trying to put popular content in front of you that other people have said they liked. 
And then from there, um, if people report content, that goes directly into a system that our use, team uses for everyday chats at work. And so if, if there is something that is, um, it could be anything from like, again, somebody trolling a kid over a legal take that's against our terms to porn. You know, we deal with all this stuff at certain, some type, uh, some way or another, um, you know, the, again, the porn's on the, like the lesser side, but we have to be ready for that. Right. Cause that's something that has happened. Uh, you get some Yahoo that comes in and does something like that. Um, you know, most of the time those are down and removed from the platform within minutes, you know? So, um, we have a pretty sophisticated system built in, is it, but it's not like TikTok who is literally, you know, using artificial intelligence in real time to scan and see if you're holding a gun to delete your account. Like that's a whole different level, but, um, you know, for a team of 13, we do pretty good compared to these teams that have, you know, 60,000 employees, I would say. Okay. And then Facebook's so- own data says, I uh, just fun fact for you. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of picked on them for having, uh, or, or for uh, for having so many employees, but they get it wrong by their own account 200,000 times a day. Hmm. That's how many times they know they get it wrong. So like, we're not dealing with any level of the amount of that's, if that's just, they're wrong, you can think how much content they're actually seeing and how much gets reported. Um, you know, they, they get more wrong than, we'll see in a year in terms of reported posts. It's like in a day, it's like that different from the spectrum of size. And so I know that you can put up um, photos and everything up on your account. Is, is there a video proponent to it as well? Yeah, we do have, we do have a video uh, you can upload. I think it's up, it caps at two minutes right now. We're working on that. Um, you know, even, even I think TikTok is trying to add longer videos. That's pretty common to start small because video server space is a killer for startups. It's so expensive, man. Um, video in general is really hard to do well. It's something we haven't really focused on a ton. You can upload a two minute video though. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing we've been focusing on lately is trying to get that upload faster and more competitive. Um, but I think you can actually even upload like video reviews now. Um, you know, we've been adding in more and more video functionality as we grow. Okay. So where do you see it going? Like, what is the, what is the end game? Like, what's the goal? Yeah. So the, the thing that I really want us to be like, I don't really have a goal of like, I need 10 million people active on the platform. Um, you know, for more than anything, uh, the goal for me, uh, just to give you my CEO answer is to be profitable so that this thing's sustainable. Um, you know, we, we are a startup. Um, I've raised money to be able to do this. So I've, I've gone the venture capital route. Um, it's not something most of your audience even gives a rip about, but I bring it up to say that, you know, if you're going to support a company, when you shop, um, you know, we're one that's trying to do it differently. I mentioned some of the content side of what we're doing differently, but we're also, donating 1% of our, our profits to a camp that teaches kids to hunt, fish and shoot. Um, you know, it's a, it's a two, a, um, it's a two, a camp, you know, it's something you could be proud that your part of your purchase is going to, um, you know, we, we are trying to do things differently, although it's a really hard time to do this. Um, our members get free shipping on everything. Even if you buy a dog kennel from go wild, you get free shipping on it. And we eat that out of our margin. So, we're trying to be a place that um, 
I'm trying to grow this into a company. We, we lose money on some of those sales, but I'm trying to be a company that is, is earning your overall business and that you look to us first to see if we have it. Um, that's something we have to earn the right to, you know, um, we are small. Sometimes we screw up stuff. It's not common, but, uh, we, we want to be a company that, um, if I screw up, I bend over backwards so hard for you that you remember it. And like, you're going to shop again, even though I screwed up your last order. So, um, growing the business to be healthy is my, as my, as CEO, that's my job is like to think about that. Um, from a product perspective, you know, I really, there's a couple things we'd like to do. Um, I really want to have Facebook groups for our platform. It's been asked a million times. It's probably one of our biggest weaknesses that we don't have it right now. Um, we're a custom built app. There are a lot of guys that have spun up and are still spinning up. There's a new one announced at ATA. Um, you know, there's a lot of these things that pop up, but they're out of the box stuff. And like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like you go into like a blue apron or a hello fresh and, you know, making the meal. Um, it's kind of all done for you. And there's limitations to how creative you can get with something that like you only cook with what's in the box, right? Mine's fully custom, man. So like I've, I've built all this stuff. I haven't, I'm not a developer, but my team and I have built uh, all this from scratch. And so it, it takes us a little bit longer to do some stuff like that, but we do it right. And we do it in a way that's sustainable. So we're working on um, the, the group, the group thing I, I hope will happen eventually. Um, more than anything, you know, I see us becoming um, more of a place where you have, uh, it's like your go-to when you have a question. It, you know, a lot of people go to YouTube to find answers now. Like I want us to be that for within the hunting and fishing and shooting communities because they're, they're like, well, I, why would I look for this when I can just post it on Go Wild and have five answers in an hour? You know, I want to have that kind of community um, that, that we're building. Um, another thing that we're working on right now is live events and uh you know we we just did the the big pennsylvania show um uh, which was you know i dipped the toe into that um you know our booth we, we built our own booth we went up there and exhibited we we sold and got the sold gear and got to meet members but we're um we're we're reigniting this this thing we used to do before the pandemic which is just live events where it's you know maybe taking over a brewery for the day um, we've got an archery focused event coming up in July that I have not announced yet. This is the first little teaser I have of, of what we're working on, but, um, you know, news will be coming out of that soon. And, and we're hoping to do, that's going to be in Louisville, Kentucky where we are, but I'm hoping to do another one of those somewhere. Uh, it may not be archery focused, but another live event. So like those pop-up events are going to be really fun and a ways to, you know, come and meet the people you've been talking to on the platform. Well, that's awesome. Um, I've got a couple more questions here for you. I mean, we, I don't know what you got for time. We can go for uh, forever. <laughs> no, man, couple, no, that's great. Let's keep going. But so you talked about like, you know, um, getting kids involved in hunting and we had talked about like, uh, something, uh, earlier that you said, um, somewhere else that was pretty controversial or whatever about, like hunting is too white, right? So, oh yeah, yeah. So how are you? I mean, I, I guess can you like kind of expound on that? Just on kind of like what you're thinking, and then I mean, how does 
that go along with like what you're doing in, in this? That's that only because you had said that I was thinking like, you know, is this camp like in the inner city or like, yeah. uh, you know, who That's is this targeting? Question. Yeah, it's great. So the camps, um, there's two questions there. The camp typically is, uh, within like a 15 to 20, 15 to 30 minute drive of a city, because we are trying to find kids who have not been exposed to hunting. Um, typically it's a pretty high percentage have not hunted before. So we, we, we do try to get urban, uh, kids there. Um, the thing you're talking about, I'll, I'll give color context. Cause I think, um, the, we, um, we mentioned that I think before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it came up recently, uh, Matt, just to lay a little bit of groundwork here, Matt Ranella was on blood origins. He wrote an article for free range American. He was on Meat Eater, uh, Matt Ranella, Steve Ranella's brother. Most people probably know what that conversation was. Uh, that if, you're, if you're hardcore in a podcast, you probably listen to Meat Eater or Blood Origins. They're two very popular shows in the hunting space. Um, and Matt's opinion is that we have too many hunters. He thinks we should reduce the hunter population by half. Um, he thinks that um, hunters should not post on social media. And the... Um, you know, I, when this came out, I started getting flooded with questions because I'm a co-founder of a social media app for hunting and people wanted to know what I thought about it. And, um, to, to, to try to give this, uh, make this as succinct as possible. Um, I think, I think talking about, uh, there being too many hunters and there being, um, should we be posting on social media? And all of a lot of the topics, you know, there were things I even agreed with uh, about Matt, and I wrote a really long blog response to it. It's like thirty five hundred words, um, and you know, outline this. But I, I think, um, I think, I think what it comes down to is that with with all of this discussion, we're standing at the altar of the church arguing over whether or not we have too many altar candles when behind us, the entire sanctuary is burning to the ground. And, and, and what I mean by that is we're, we're arguing over things that they matter in, in this vacuum, like, yeah, overcrowding matters when you're hunting. I talked about public land and like the orange army of, of when I started hunting and like, yeah, it kind of sucks when you're sitting there, you know, and the side by side comes tearing through by your tree but at the end of the day, what we what we should be looking at is looking at the Sportsman's Alliance website, which is a nonprofit that that fights for your rights as a hunter. And every day they're posting new legislation against hunting. That they're talking about hunt, uh, legislation that they're battling. Um, you know, if, just to help people, like if you want to think of them as like the NRA of hunting rights, that's what they do. And you know, when when you see how many cases those guys are fighting. And I know those guys personally, I've had them on my old podcast. Um, I I've been to many industry events with them and talked to them many, many times. And we are outfunded. We are outmanned. This is the fight of a lifetime against us. And so when, when we're talking about things as silly as like, Oh, my spot had the parking lot. You couldn't even find a place to park at the trailhead. Like, dude, yeah, that sucks, but you are missing the point so hard right now. Like we're we're in a we're in a space that in 30 years, your kids may not be able to park at that same trailhead to go hunting because it may be illegal. I'm not making this stuff up. You know, people think I, I get a little too extreme on this sometimes, but 
look at New Jersey. You know, they 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 aren't going to pass something that says you can just never hunt again. Period. It happens a little at a time. It's bobcats. It's trapping. You know, it's it's doves in Michigan. Why can you guys not hunt doves, but the rest of us can? It's <laughs> stupid. Um, you know, it's it's black bears in New Jersey. It's it's British Columbia. All this stuff happens with one little piece of legislation at a time, or sometimes like what came out recently with, uh, you know, this group with the Biden administration. I mean, there, there's huge, huge sweeping legislation that can happen. And so um, some of what uh, this very long answer is, is building off of, you mentioned that I've, I've said that hunting is too white. Hunting is 97% white. And so how do you win the, these, how do you win against litigation that is well-funded by groups like the Humane Society? You know, the Humane Society is probably our arch, biggest arch nemesis in hunting. Um, and I'm not talking about your local, you know, go adopt a puppy. The national organization is what I'm talking about. Um, they, they are funding the fight against us left and right. And if we're 97% white, we need diversity. And hunting is too white because how do you win against any litigation? You win it at the polls. Okay. How, what is like politics 101 when you're, when you're trying to win a, a vote, right? You look at the demographics of where you're doing well, and then you look at where you're not doing well, but you might have a chance to, to get a tipping point, right? Well, look guys, we, I, I mean, I'm not saying not to bring your friends, but we've got the rural white male covered, right? Like that part, that audience is going to vote for hunting. Um, where we need to be focused are the blacks, the Latinos, we need more women, um, and so on. Whatever group that's not white, male, and rural, we should be trying to get those people into hunting. And, and you know, I I, I get it. Like I, I took some flack over that article because of that line that's saying that hunting's too white. Um, I had a guy message me on, on our app and say, um, you know, uh, you're just pushing the same woke crap as everybody else. And I said, look, man, I understand where, why that would trigger that thought for you. But the fact is like, do you not think that hunting is at risk? And he said, no. And that's, um, you know, honestly, that's, I told him like, shame on you for your ignorance. Cause it's just, it's just not how it is. You know, again, go to sportsmansalliance.org go to their blog and you cannot scroll for a single page without seeing two or three new pieces of legislation that are against hunting. So, you know, if we want to diversify, we need programs like that camp I mentioned, we need to, you know, um, you know, go invite your black co-founder to go hunting with, or your black, uh, your black coworker to go hunting with you, um, invite the lady over in payroll who is like, you know, totally different than you in whatever way, those are good things. It doesn't mean you stop inviting white people too. Uh, my, my point is not like, Hey, we, to it's not to reduce the amount of white people in volume. It's to add other groups into there to show them that like, Hey, this is cool. This contributes to conservation. It's not what I thought it was. These guys do eat all the meat. You know, th those are things that we know because we're in it, but it's not widely understood outside of our circle. I'm just trying to like wrap my head around like that, the statement of like, it's just that woke crap, like immediately, like what goes into my mind is that 
here we are doing all this stuff that we hold like near and dear. That's like really yeah. awesome to us. And, at, you know, and maybe you and I are in a different mindset of many hunters because I, I, I know this for a fact that there's people out there who are like, we, you know, I don't want to help anybody. I don't want, oh, yeah, I, dude. I, I, there's enough people in my spot trying to kill my deer, you know, yeah. the deer that I named and all this other stuff. But at the same time, it's like, we enjoy this so much and it's such a big part of our lives. Like, why wouldn't you want to like share that with like whoever wants to come, right? you know? And, and like for myself, that's the way that it's always been is, I mean, I, I was lucky enough to have married into a family where they're all like super into hunting. But what that gave me was, you know, you open up the pole barn and it's like Cabela's in there. Like we have yeah. all this stuff. So it yeah. was, it's always been for me like an open door. Like, Hey man, if you want to come hunting, like bring whatever you got and you know, we'll get you outfitted and we'll get you out there and we'll, we'll, we'll go through everything. And, and it's because I would, I want everybody to view it through the same eyes that I do. And like, enjoy those same things that we talked about, about, you know, the red tail hawk chasing the the squirrels and, and, you know, yeah. the, the turkeys yeah. and like hearing the gobbles and all of that sort of stuff. Like, and it, it, it shouldn't be about like who gets to, in who, who gets included and who gets excluded, you know, it shouldn't matter right. who it is. Well, and that's, that's, what's interesting. So the, the final, uh, the complex part of what I'm doing is I'm building a community that doesn't necessarily expose a lot of our story to those people that don't hunt, right? Like if you're in our platform, you probably hunt or you want to, you have a positive outlook on hunting. One, one would say, um, and, and I, I've, <clears throat> I've received criticism on that in the past of, uh, occasionally of people saying like, well, you're building an echo chamber and, and I get that. And, um, here's my response to that though. That's why I actually advocate for people still telling their stories on other platforms. You know, I think the way, the way I look at how we interact with those other platforms is, you know, you, you probably don't want to, because we are trying to improve the image of hunting and get more people to approve it so that they'll vote for it at the polls. When these things come up, you probably don't want to just blindly post your bloody deer in the back of a tailgate on Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever it is, right? Um, you might want to try to get a more tasteful photo or, or you know, I, and this is again, where some people say like, it's the woke stuff. And I'm like, no, man, this is just perception 101 and perception is reality. And, and so, you know, for our platform, I see it as like, this is your deer camp. This is your chance to post that raw shot that the tongue was hanging out. Nobody cares. We all get it, right? We all get it on our platform, but maybe on LinkedIn, you just, post some deer tacos and say, Hey, happy to get a deer. Or if you're posting a grip and grin, that's fine, but take time to make sure it's respectful and take time to tell the other parts of the story, right? Like you can't, I always think it's funny that like, there's always these hunters that only post the trophy shots and then get mad when, when the anti hunters call them murderers. I'm like, well, yeah, the only part of the story you're telling is the death. So what are they to think? You know, you don't talk about the adventure. You don't talk about hanging out with your buddies. You don't talk about the food. Um, you don't talk about the conservation. There's other parts of the story that you should be telling. Hmm. And so what is the, I mean, from not, 
I don't know. Maybe it's one and the same, but but like not necessarily like the Brad perspective, but the go wild perspective on like recruiting other ethnicities or uh, genders or 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 whatever. Um, it, like, how are you targeting new demographics? And I mean, is there a trail for the new guy or underserved, or yeah. is there a mentor? You know. We have a mentorship trail, yes, and and that is to uh, both post about as you share your story as a mentor, um, or you know, post if you had questions. That's a great place to put it in there. Um, you ask like, what are we doing? A lot of our strategy this year is to um, you know, I think there's a big gap of of content in in that um, podcasters are covering this, but not on the written side. Like on the written side, if you read an article in Peterson's. It, it has like a 30 to 40% base level knowledge that you need to understand sometimes to really, to get what they're talking about on something. Cause they just, they, they operate for a, it's like a different speed hunter, right? Like those, these are guys that um, are hardcore that uh, they, they really enjoy reading these hunting stories, but these hunting stories are usually written just at a, at a certain skill level. Um, we, in almost all of our content you'll see us putting out this year are trying to operate on that 30% and down, not all of it, a, a majority of our content, I'll say um, every now and then we're going to do like some advanced stuff, but um, trying to make it just more accessible for anybody that's looking, that's really where we stand the best chance of connecting with our brand it is being there in a place that's inviting, which we have with our community with, uh, we actually just to nerd out for a second, like my team actually scours the Google search records of what people are looking for. And that's how we plan our podcast. That's how we plan our, uh, all of our written content. So, so the written side, we're trying to write blogs that we know people are looking for at, from a new perspective, um, on the diversity side <coughs> with my show, um, Gearbox Talk, we've done a really good job, better than most shows in the outdoor space. I've tried to um, make it, you know, go uh, go beyond your average twenty to forty year old white guy. Um, you know, I'm, we can always do better with with uh, diversity, but um, it's 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 you know, we've had our share of female guests, of black guests, um, you know, other ethnicities, and, and trying to get that blended in because. Um, you know, I think when you start talking about this, I understand a little bit of how people get to that. Like, Oh, this is a bunch of woke stuff. Like everybody's just trying to be like anti-racist, like after 2020. Right. Um, but for me, after talking to some of these guys, like, uh, Earl, uh, Earl B Hunter jr. Who founded black folks camp too, his whole thing is like there, when there's nobody else that looks like you, you're, you're not comfortable um, so if I can do my part of just having even on our show, you know, a guy like Elon Stribling, who's a really well-known biologist and fly fisherman, if I get him on my show, um, now if, a, you know, an urban black kid's trying to, to learn how to fly fish and they've got interest in that, well, I've platformed um, Elon in another place. He, and that, Elon's all over the place. He didn't need my help. But my point is, 
I'm helping project content that that black kid might resonate better with now because it's somebody that looks like him. You know, representation matters, man. I mean, if you've ever been in any environment where you feel uncomfortable, if you're a, if you're a hardcore conservative and you get thrown in a room with like a bunch of liberal vegans, you're probably going to feel pretty uncomfortable. You know, it's like it put yourself in that shoes and you can see how, uh, you know, skin color representation matters, how gender, you know, we just did a gearbox talk with a, a female um, who she was uh, talking about everyday carry. And I didn't host that show because what do I know about <laughs> carrying uh, guns with boobs to, or hips to work around, right? That's like not, it's not something that I would understand. So this, uh, my, my co-founder or uh, my co, I keep calling everybody co-founders. Uh, my, uh, teammate Erica came in because the things that they were talking about with concealing that women have to deal with that dudes don't, you know, I, it was, it would have not, it wouldn't be inappropriate. It would be, um, it wouldn't be comforting, comfortable, right? It's like an uncomfortable conversation. And so we, we try to really, um, I think we do a better job than most. We, I'm sure we can do better, but you know, I'm pretty proud of where we are in our, our diversity content. Sure. I mean, the question was asked simply because it's a bold statement. And, and so it's like, you can, anybody can say anything really. And, but it's, what are you guys doing to, yeah, you know, no, totally. To, I appreciate the question. Nobody's ever probably had the balls to ask me that after I've talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, that's the things that, that really matter. I mean, that's why like, you know, just for, from the go wild side, you know, I talked to these guys at ATA and I'd been on go wild before that. And I'm like, look, I'm a creator. Like, this is what we do. But like, for me, I wasn't uh, like figuring it out. It wasn't intuitive to me. And so I talked with Jacob and we went through all of it and I've been using the go wild platform here for the last couple of weeks and it's very, I can see all of the benefits of it, but it's like when I switch from using Onyx to base map to Spartan forge, like there's all these little intricacies. So if you've been using Facebook for, you know, yeah. 20 years now or, or however long it's been, you know, you're looking for these things. And, and since you've, you know, said, well, we didn't build a cookie cutter app, like we didn't just pull it in. So, it, you know, it might not be that intuitive. So you just have to, to use it and, and become part well, of the community. Right. And, you know, we've, we've kept some things because the intuitive conversation is interesting. Um, you know, there, there are things that are done on mainstream platforms because they're addictive. There are things that are done on mainstream platforms because they just make sense, right? Like, um, and, and most people don't think about this. A well-designed app, for example, is going to have your navigation at the bottom. Why do they do that? Because that's where your thumbs are, right? Like, that's where your thumbs are. People don't think about why buttons are where they are, but um, there, there's, there's reasons we do that. Where So we have a post button at the bottom, like every other app. That part's familiar to you. You get into it, though, and now we have different post types. And it's like, oh, well, I'm not used to this. I, this, this is different. But like, we have a trophy feature that uh, is totally different. If you've posted a trophy on our app, you know, it's like you go through and answer a series of questions about your trophy, and then you get a score. That's how we give you your points. And this, this is not Boone and Crockett, but it's fun, right? Um, so, the you know, there has to be some some places where we diverge and do something like trophies. 
um, you know, our home screen is totally different. And that is a disorienting thing to hit uh, when you hit that. But but that's because it's it's kind of um, it's it's a little bit of you. You know, there, there's your your messages are there. Your rewards are there. It's got some other content that you, uh, the app thinks you might find interesting. It's got uh, notifications or like a little an announcement section. So, um, you know, the, I do agree that that's very different. You know, I, I, the thing I usually say to people when they ask me, that's like, well, I mean, really with this, the state of social media today, I figure difference probably good. Right. Yeah. Well, but my point in that was saying that like, I wanted to make sure before I had you on here or that, that we were even going to have this conversation, that it was something that I could say, like certainly this is what you know yeah, yeah. worth checking out <laughs> yeah yeah and 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 so you know back to all that and like to say well you know maybe i'm the only one that has the balls to ask the question but like i would be doing both of us a disservice if and the listener too if i didn't ask that because again it's always yeah. from like the listener perspective is like you can you can say whatever you want but if you can't back it up like you could have come on here and said yeah well i just i only kill 170s or better and then <laughs> yeah. then we go on go wild and then you go out of there you're like you. he shot a spike like little, what in the yeah, hell like, what yeah right <laughs> you know no i always i always tell people i'm uh i'm not smart enough to lie so i don't like i'd never be able to keep it all straight so uh in general um i try to be a pretty straight shooter uh and, and i think i think if people like i post on our platform i think that also surprises people you know, the, that, um, and it's not like I have a PR person that's reading my post. I mean, I'm, I'm active there. People will be able to find me if they download the app after hearing this conversation, you're going to get an automated message from me. And I'll tell you now it's automated because I don't send thousands of people a week, a, a message, but if you reply back, that is really me. So it, the, the first one's automated and we just hope that people reply back and I get to build a relationship with people, but dude, I message thousands of people a month on the platform. It's, it's kind of insane. Um, I don't know how scalable it is, but at, at this time, it's really important to me to get to know people and hear their complaints. If they have them, most of it's awesome that people, um, some of the number one things I hear are, this is awesome. It's like deer camp. Uh, I, I love how supportive everybody is. And literally one of the most common ones that has kind of built up over the last year and a half is, it's awesome to be able to post and not get censored or trolled by anti-hunters. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, so I want to wrap this up here. I, I always ask, what is your bow setup? So what bow are you shooting? Uh, arrows, like the whole thing. Well, and, and it's probably, you know, this sometimes gets people off guard because they're like, I, you know, I don't really bow hunt that much, but you, I would have to imagine you do not let me down on this. Otherwise we're going to have to talk to the people that go wild because you should have set up like your gear yeah, <laughs> locker. I do have, I do have, <laughs> you asked about the arrows and now I'm like, that's the one thing I can't even remember what kind of arrows I have, but I do have it set up on my, uh, my profile, my archery setups on there. I may not have changed. I think I did. Uh, okay. My setup is I shoot a, uh, obsession, uh, hemorrhage HD. Ooh. Uh, it's, it's from a couple, I think they may have replaced that bow with something else. That was a two, I have the 2018. Um, I, this is my first season hunting with the Garmin zero, um, bow site. 
and I did not, I did not shoot at an animal with it this year. Um, I like it. I like target shooting with it. Um, I'm comfortable with it. I, I wouldn't shoot anything past 40 yards or really 30 yards. Cause that's my skill level. Um, uh, I'm, t- I've got it out to 60 and I love that site. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, basically it takes your range finder and your single pin site and it combines them and it adjusts the, the pin to where it ranges to. So for me, what it's limited is you're ranging and adjusting and, you know, you're just more likely to get busted. And, um, I really like that I can range without even moving with that. So I can, if I'm sitting there holding my bow upright, I can look through it and push the button and I can see the range. Um, and you can range out to like 200, you can range game out to 250 yards. Obviously you're not shooting game that far, but, um, I have, uh, funny enough, I have that really expensive bow sight on there and I have like the, just a cheap old, uh, whisker biscuit on my bow. Cause it, because it's reliable and I did all the research and I cannot tell that the dropaways really do anything, uh, for a guy like me. I'm not, I am not skilled enough to where, uh, that level of like micro adjustment matters and the, the speed sacrifice is actually minimal. Um, I looked it up and I found blogs of people that had, you know, measured the speed and yeah, yeah, you're losing a hair, but, um, I didn't find it. I I liked, I had had a bad experience with a drop away, right? I won't throw the brand on the bus, but, um, I traveled with one, one time and it almost ruined my hunt down in Texas. Uh, because the, the site got so mangled or, or like not, ma- it, it, it had started pulling back too far and it was basically throwing my arrows, but even the guide couldn't figure it out. Um, and we just thought we were like, I have no idea what happened to your bow and flight, but it's just torqued and screwed. Um, so I, uh, I'm not a good enough, like bow techie to, to recognize that stuff. So I got the biscuit on there cause I don't have to worry about it. Right. It's like super easy to adjust if something happens. Um, I'm shooting dirt nap broadheads right now. I do change those all the time. Like, um, I, I, I get like a lot of free gear makes its way to me. And I don't mean that to be obnoxious. I'm sure this happens with you too. Like once you get in the industry, people send you stuff to try. I like trying new stuff. Um, I've gotten these dirt naps at the Badlands Film Festival the last few years that I've gone and I like them. Uh, they shoot consistent. Um, uh, dude, I started using, um, quick fletch, those like boil on, I, I, cause I suck at, uh, replacing my, uh, my arrows, uh, once they get busted. So I just use those, um, the NA, NAP, I think it's the brand. Um, I love those things. For an idiot like me who cannot tune a bow to save his life, it's just uh, people are obviously picking up that I'm not like a, a gearhead on the archery side. Um, stabilizer, I cannot even remember what I have. Uh, it's it's what I bought from Obsession that came with it. I think I covered everything. And you don't know what the arrows are? I can't remember the arrows, man. I don't have my phone with me; it's charging. Uh, it's on my. They're on my profile, so that that's my teaser. And I don't know why anybody would care at this point. Cause I obviously just gave like a big long example of like that. I'm not really a, a great archer to, to be impressed with all my gear. Um, but I can't remember what I bought and I just don't pay attention to that stuff. So I don't want to say what brand it is. Cause I'm sure I'll get it wrong. And then, um, what release are you shooting? I am shooting, uh, now, now I can see the logo, but I can't think of it. It's like a very common wrist, uh, release. Um, is it true? true What's ball. the, 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm shooting one of those. Um, I don't know the exact type of wrist. It's like basic go to the archery store and get hooked up with a wrist release. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we, well, I, I would say that you're in good company. <laughs> I, I, I think for me, like a lot of times the guys that like are the really like serious, like deer killers, they don't care too much about their gear. They care more about killing deer. And they're like, this is, I've had this set up for X amount of years. It works. Then you got other guys that tweak and everything. And it's more about the, the setup. So, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't get into like, honestly, man, I'm a utilitarian. Um, like once I get something that works, I really won't change it until something I don't like about it. Uh, I, I, I had a, um, uh, the, the H, uh, shoot, is it HDD optimizer? The, is that the HHA? Yeah. HHA. Yeah, thank you. Um, I had, I had one of those. I love that site and I didn't really realize I didn't like it until the concept of the Garmin zero was introduced to me. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you're right. I am like, I get busted on ranging sometimes. Right. Uh, and, you know, I've had coyotes bust me when I'm trying to shoot them ranging. And I was like, this seems to solve a problem for me and I'm going to try it and I'll, and I switch sites. Um, and in fact, my buddy is literally the engineer at Garmin who built the thing. And he talked to me about it for a year and I was like, I don't know, man, I'm pretty happy with what I have. Like, I don't want to change something just for the sake of changing it. And then, you know, finally started shooting that site and I really liked it and, uh, made the jump. I think there's a lot of people that misunderstand what that thing is. Um, but yeah, I don't monkey with a lot of stuff until I have to, you know, it's like, I, I shot a, uh, 30-06, which is a lot of gun on a whitetail, uh, for years. And then finally I was like, I'm going to, you know, chamber down a little bit and then did some research, bought my gun. I've got a, uh, six, five Creedmoor that I love. And I'm sure we could do a whole episode where we <laughs> argue about six, five, but, um, you know, I, I, I kind of went, I'll usually go all in on something that's a little nicer than entry level, like the obsession. I bought a Christensen arms. That's like too nice for my skill level. Um, uh, and you know, I'll shoot that for the next 10 years. So. Awesome. So let's say uh, your elevator pitch for all the listeners about why they need to go check out go wild. And yeah. So I'm going to pay you $10 to go download the app. That's like the, 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 you've, you've heard me talk about what it is. It's a social platform where you can shop for gear, connect with other people, just like you, you can find people in your area, but the, the, the big unveiling for anybody that made it like almost two hours with us here uh, is you're literally going to unlock a $10 gift card when you sign up right now. It's a promotion we have going on. So you download the app, you create an account. And uh, I think once you put your name in, it will unlock the gift card. Um, so, so like it's literally getting paid to, you can go buy whatever you want. If you want to go buy a pair of boots or a t-shirt or something, you can take 10 bucks off of that. Um, you know, the, the, the thing, um, thing I always tell people, and I, I say this, I've spoken to a bunch of industry stuff and the thing I, I leave them with, and I'll leave your audience with is if you really care about the future of hunting and fishing, you know, you need to support the industry that supports hunting and fishing. And, you know, when you buy from Amazon, you inflate Jeff Bezos stock and he flies a rocket to space. You know, it's like you, what you're not really contributing to anything that, that, uh, that helps what you care about. And when you're working with us, you know, I'm, I mean, I think people have figured out, I love hunting. I may not be very good at it, but like you're, you're being a part of a company 
and helping a company that loves hunting and fishing as much as you does, as much as you do. My entire team loves hunting and fishing. You know, I've got guys that uh, have started at our company that were hardcore, you know, AR-15 tricking out all their guns and never had hunted. And then they get into our, our working for us and then they go hunting for the first time. Um, I've had that happen several times and it's a really cool experience, but everybody, even if they don't hunt, they, they like to fish, they like to ride horses or something, you know? Um, so, so you're supporting a group that also loves the outdoors and, you know, we're going to give a percentage of our proceeds to that camp that I talked about. The camps raise them outdoors. I'm on the board of that organization. Um, so, you know, I would hope that people just kind of think about where you're putting your money, you know, and, um, if, if you could buy it through us or you can buy it through Amazon and it's the same price, I hope I've made a compelling enough argument on, uh, you know, why you should shop through us and why you should participate in our platform. Awesome. And so where can people find go wild and you know, how do they, you know, if they've got questions, who do they reach out to? They reach out to you. Do they reach out to, yeah. So you can go to downloadgowild.com and that's going to take you to a, a landing page that you can either touch app store or, uh, the Android store, which are one you need for your device. And, um, once you create an account, you're going to get that message from me. So that if you got questions, you know, that's how you get in touch with me. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the time, Brad. And uh, yeah, Adam, thanks good. for, uh, thanks for having me on, man. This was fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. Certainly.